Well, we now know that Jody Wilson-Raybould, the former justice minister, was contacted by the RCMP in the midst of the SNC-Lavalin scandal. She can't talk about what was discussed because of confidentiality, but we know that there were discussions. This revelation follows the report that was released from the Ethics Commissioner, that report that found the Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and his staff repeatedly broke ethics rules. And we did hear from the Prime Minister after that report was released. First off, I want to thank the Ethics Commissioner for his report. Uh, And even though I disagree with some of his conclusions, uh, I fully accept this report uh, and take responsibility uh, for everything that happened. Let's bring in Mike Smith, province columnist. You've also heard him on this radio station uh, very often. Uh, Mike Smith joins me on the line. Thanks so much for being with us. Anytime, Jill. What are your thoughts on how things have unfolded to this point? That was an interesting clip from the Prime Minister you displayed there. You didn't hear an apology there from him, did you? No. Yeah, there's been some pressure on Trudeau to apologize for this, but of course I don't think he's going to do that at all. I I think this has been a bad week for Trudeau, obviously. I think the story continues to be damaging for him and potentially could get worse because, you know, in a lot of ways the SNC-Lavalin scandal over the last five months or so has gone about as well as Trudeau could hope, really, in a lot of ways. I mean, after he ejected Wilson-Raybould out of the Liberal caucus last April, he kicked Jane Philpott out at the same time. They're now both independent MPs. That was kind of sort of the uh, high watermark for the story at the time, and it sort of died down since then. Now, though, with this report by the Ethics Commissioner Mario Dion and Trudeau having been found guilty of contravening the Conflict of Interest Act by improperly pressuring Wilson-Raybould in the SNC case. Uh, very significantly, I, th- I, I think, I think the, uh, the report found that Trudeau undermined her decisions, uh, tried to, discre- to de- discredit her decisions. He was found to have contravened Section 9 of the Conflict Act, which means he tried to undermine her decisions to advance the private interests of this company as they tried to avoid conviction on serious bribery and corruption charges. That's all very serious stuff. And it brings it back into the, the public realm. So one thing to keep in mind here is, even though it's a damaging report, the, penal- the, the immediate penalty for Trudeau is nothing really beyond a, a tongue-lashing by this ethics commissioner. But politically, it's damaging because it brings the whole scandal back into the headlines. And that's something that Trudeau doesn't want. He obviously just wants the whole thing to go away and for people to forget about it. But it's now back in the spotlight. So I think a big question now is whether just how damaging this is. I mean, is this a fatal thing for Trudeau with an election approaching? Is it a vote driving ballot box question for voters? Maybe it is for some and maybe not so much for others, but it's certainly not a great, uh, it was a bad week for Trudeau. And the specter of an RCMP involvement, I guess, kicks it up another notch as well. It's also, when we we look at it, uh, kind of step back and look at it, this is a prime minister who, when voted in, promised that he was going to do politics different. And here we have the second example of him breaking ethics rules, which I think a lot of people will look at that and say, well, what exactly are you doing different? The the difference is you're, you're breaking more of these rules uh, compared to some of your predecessors. Yeah, it kind of brings up memories of uh, our liberal scandals of the past, like people remember the sponsorship scandal, which was so damaging in the past, and it kind of brings up some bad old memories for the liberals. So in that regard, it's potentially very bad timing with an election just weeks away. Um, On the other hand, 
you got to ask yourself, does this meet the test of a huge public scandal that could turn the tide of an election? And Trudeau and his advisors might be obviously hoping that it's, that it's not. And, and they might keep in mind that Trudeau, in this SNC-Lavalin affair, there's no evidence that he was doing anything to advance his own financial interests, right? So it's not like there was money going into his pocket or something like that. Like, it seems that the scandals that inflict the most damage on politicians are typically very shabby ones where people are lining their own pockets for their own personal benefit, or there's an egregious waste of, of the public's money. That really gets people angry, too. You remember how angry people got when a federal cabinet minister a few years ago paid $16 for a glass of orange juice. I mean, this is, this is outrageous and sticks in people's mind. You know, here in B.C., we had the famous money being spent spent on a wood splitter at the legislature. Everybody can understand that, and they get upset about it, and it's very damaging. Does this SNC-Lavalin scandal meet that particular test that it, it's, it's going to be so damaging that Trudeau could lose the election over this? The Liberals are clearly hoping that, that it's not, that this is not something that's going to really damage them badly at election time. But I'm not so sure. I mean, I, th I think that it... it I think this reinforces a lot of negative attitudes that some people might have had about Trudeau as well. And then there's also the possibility of the RCMP maybe possibly snooping around on this thing, which could make it even worse. So I don't think it's good for Trudeau at all. Uh, and you mentioned, too, so I played that clip off the top, uh, his response when that report came out. So we also heard from uh, the former Justice Minister, Jody Wilson-Raybould. She said she would like to have heard an apology from the Prime Minister. But uh, take a listen to this, mm. because it doesn't sound like that's a forthcoming. I'm not going to apologize for standing up for Canadians' jobs because that's my job, to make sure that Canadians and communities and pensioners and families across the country uh, are supported, and that's what I will always do. Uh, I disagree with uh, the uh, Ethics Commissioner's conclusions, but he is an officer of Parliament who's doing his job, and I fully accept his report, uh, which means I take full responsibility. <laughs> I don't even know what to take. So you're taking full responsibility, but wait a minute, I didn't do it. I don't agree with the report, and I'm not going to apologize, yeah. and I'm going to stick to my speaking notes that I am here to fight for jobs. Yeah, it's probably about the, the best way he could play this play his hand here. Um, to, to go back to that, no apology, do not give your enemies kind of a trophy to hang on the wall with an apology, and then go back to the jobs argument that all of this really was came down to um, protecting the jobs of people who work for SNC-Lavalin and some of the contractors that rely on that company. And don't forget, he's, he's, he's speaking directly to voters in Quebec there when he talks about that. This is a company with the head office in Montreal. So, you know, it's not surprising to hear him sort of play those talking points and to play the hand the way he's doing it. And that's probably a smart thing to do. The, the specter of an RCMP investigation, though, is a big one. And if somehow this blows up into a bigger criminal case before an election, that could obviously be huge. Now, the RCMP's involvement here, though, Jill, is weird because there's a lot of guesswork going on about what's, what's happening here. I mean, typically the RCMP will refuse to confirm or deny that a criminal investigation is underway. So it's kind of a guessing game. Now, Jody Wilson-Raybould said has now said that she was contacted by the RCMP back in February when the scandal first blew up. Now, does that mean that the Mounties are investigating Trudeau or anyone else in his circle in this affair? Well, not necessarily. I mean, it could mean that the RCMP were just doing some basic fact-checking when this scandal blew up back in February. The Prime Minister's office said this week they have not been contacted by the Mounties 
So you got the RCMP contacting Wilson Raybould, but apparently they did not contact Trudeau's office, which which is kind of weird. Another thing to keep in mind, under the Conflict of Interest Act, the ethics commissioner is supposed to suspend an, an ethics investigation if the police start an investigation into the same matter. And you may recall that's what happened in the Mike Duffy scandal a few years ago. That did not happen here. So Mario Dion continued his investigation into Trudeau, completed his report, and it was released. That would suggest there is not a criminal investigation going on here. Um, On the other hand, there is new stuff in this report. So Jody Wilson-Raybould said even she found out new stuff that happened here that even she didn't know about when this report came out. And the RCMP said last week they are, quote, examining this matter carefully. That does not necessarily mean there's an investigation going on now, but maybe it means there will be one in the future. We don't know. And that's, that's kind of the unknown that's hanging over Trudeau here as this election approaches. So this is a bit of a wild card that could get worse for Trudeau. I think he's clearly hoping the worst is over, but you never know. No, exactly. And you're right. So the RCMP said they're examining the matter carefully with all available right. information, and they will take appropriate actions as required, which right. leaves the door open for anything, really. Uh, what about uh, Andrew Shear's response to this and the fact, obviously, the Conservatives are going to be using this in any way they can as the election campaign campaign gets underway. Yeah, no, Sheer is going to go for the throat here. They want to portray Trudeau as corrupt. They want to link this to past liberal scandals of the past and really try to inflict, obviously, as much damage on Trudeau as possible. There is an amazing uh, exchange between Trudeau and Sheer the other day that Sheer tweeted out and got a lot of attention on social media. They were both uh, at a parade at an Acadian event in eastern Canada Trudeau saw Scheer, came up to shake his hand, and Scheer turned around and said to him, stop lying to Canadians, and he tweeted that out, and the Conservatives have been gleefully tweeting that out. That shows you that the gloves are off here. This is going to be a nasty election campaign. The Conservatives are going to go aggressively after Trudeau on this and hope that this stuff sticks. But like I said, sometimes it's, it's difficult to read the impact of these scandals. It may look terrible right now. I certainly think Trudeau had a bad week. He's hoping the worst of it's over. The Conservatives certainly are going to try and make it as bad as possible from now, and from now all the way to Election Day. All right. Uh, Mike Smith, thanks so much uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Uh, appreciate uh, you doing that. Anytime, Jill. Well, earlier on in the program, we were chatting with Mike Smith about the report from the ethics commissioner about Prime Minister Trudeau having broken the ethics rules. The statement from the RCMP saying the RCMP is examining the matter carefully with all available information and will take appropriate actions as required. So nothing really that says for sure there is an investigation, although we do know that Jody Wilson-Raybould, the former justice minister, did speak with the RCMP back in February. She can't talk about what was said, though, because of confidentiality. So a lot of moving parts when it comes to the very latest in the SNC-Lavalin case. Let's bring in Ari Goldkind, who is a criminal lawyer in Toronto and joins us on the line. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Great to be on with you, Jill. Uh, What is your take now that we have this report, uh, quite a damning report, uh, you could say. The Prime Minister saying he's not going to apologize. Uh, He doesn't agree with some of the findings, although then in the same breath says that he takes full responsibility for this. So what is your take on how things have unfolded at this point? 
so my take, Jill, full disclosure to listeners, as a non-Justin Trudeau fan, I think that he has done nothing that he needs to apologize for. I think this is a story that has been sort of conjured up by those who have the proverbial skin in the game. The obstruction of justice issue here that uh, Andrew Scheer, who for reasons that escape me, won't run a campaign where he feels he can beat Trudeau at the ballot box, so calls in the Mounties as if the Conservatives have in the past had any confidence in the Mounties. I think it's pure politics, Jill. And on the obstruction of justice issue, which is theoretically the assumption that the RCMP have been called in on, picture this for anybody who likes watching TV or your favorite movie or crime show. You're going to have a trial. You're going to charge Trudeau or his ilk or Jerry Butts with obstruction of justice. Who's your star witness? I think you're going to know this answer, Jill. Your star witness is going to be Jody Wilson-Raybould herself. And what's her evidence going to be, as she has said two or three times, including the other day on various networks? There was no crime here whatsoever. So the idea that the RCMP have been called in and have even publicly, Jill, said we're looking into this was inappropriate. It's not a, public, it's not a criminal matter. It's not a court matter. It's a matter for voters at the ballot box. Uh, Not a criminal matter, but it is a matter in that the report says he repeatedly broke ethics rules. Right. And so that is not a criminal violation in terms of ending up uh, with the proverbial handcuffs. In my view, the ethics commissioner, for reasons we probably can't delve into, went way beyond his mandate, even in the sections that allowed him to make those findings. The word corrupt has been uh, bandied around by those who are opposed to Mr. Trudeau. And again, I say this all as somebody who does not support Mr. Trudeau's uh, politics. But I mean, I have to sort of keep it real, Jill. When you're having an ethics report come back and say that this is all inappropriate, where Justin Trudeau, with Jody Wilson-Raybould herself, could say this is about a whole series of issues and interests that are important to a government, whether it be Montreal, whether it be Quebec, whether it be a company, whether it be jobs. The idea that somehow there's some investigation that's going to tell us that Justin Trudeau was benefiting personally or his pocketbook or bags of cash, if you remember that old story with Brian Mulroney, an ethical violation by somebody who, in my view, Uh, The ethics commissioner who wrote the report went way beyond his scope to find this, Jill. I I just, at the end of the day, just wish Andrew Scheer, with an election coming up months away, would say, I'm not calling in the cops, but I'm going to show Canadians why they should vote for me. Yeah, and and obviously uh, that's not the way that that's going to go. It's going to be much more uh, kind of in the trenches than that. Uh, but So do you think, though, does it have to be, I mean, it doesn't have to be something involving bags of money. It doesn't have to be something where, where a prime minister or somebody in a position of power personally benefited from it to make it an ethics violation. Well, that's right. To make it an ethics violation, no, and a lot of Canadians are right to suggest, and this is the part of the story that does have some meat on the bone for me, where Justin Trudeau, and I'm going right into the weeds here, Jill, but the weeds are where the details are. In March of 2019, Justin Trudeau says, I am going to uh, cooperate completely fully with nothing to hide with the ethics investigation. What do we find out, as you know, Jill, in the ethics report? He's lawyered out the yin-yang. The Privy Council says we won't turn this over. Nine or ten witnesses aren't being given carte blanche to answer questions. That's not cooperating fully. That is something that the Canadian public should rightfully have a question about. 
But back to the point about the SNC-Lavalin and affair itself, a lot of people, Jill, don't really understand the background to this, the deferred prosecution agreement that is law. Now, how that law was created to benefit SNC-Lavalin, again, another interesting political question. But given that it was on the books, here's the question that nobody in the media is asking today. And in my view, Jill, it's an important question. For all of this hullabaloo about Trudeau saying, let's get a DPA, a deferred prosecution agreement, where SNC-Lavalin for crimes that took place over a decade ago, what is the public interest in taking them to criminal trial? How is that in the public interest when the entire company has changed, everybody was thrown out, it was done in Libya 11 years ago, versus getting SNC-Lavalin to pay a massive, gigantic fine into the Treasury? Nobody has asked that question because the public interest is the subject that's being bandied about here, and nobody at the prosecution's office, Jill, has even been asked, why was it in the, pros- in the public interest to do this criminal prosecution? That's an important question that, again, is not being asked because part of the story here, Jill, is being missed. Right, and it is an important question, but it is, is it not also an important question as to why was this deferred prosecution law passed as part of a bigger bill that got slipped through and passed very quickly? Uh, and why was the Prime Minister interfering in this when it is an ethics violation to do that? If, if the deferred prosecution really was the best choice, then should it not have been the decision of the Justice Minister's office? Well, that, okay, so now you're getting right to, the, to the, the meat on the story, which is this. Jody Wilson-Raybould, who up until the ethics report came out, her martyrdom machine came off because a lot of people from lawyers on down will tell you that she was not a good attorney general and didn't play well with others. So her martyrdom uh, sheen came off. It's now back on. But if you look at the actual origins of this story, particularly Jody Wilson-Raybould's horrible, Jill, and I emphasize this, horrible wiretapping of Michael Wernick, one of the most self-serving phone calls ever. Here's what Jody Wilson-Raybould's essential position is. I made a decision in consultation with the director of public prosecutions, and anybody who questions me on it, I told them it's none of their business to question me on it. I'm not explaining myself, and I'm not explaining to anybody in government, from Trudeau to anybody else, why I'm maintaining this prosecution. At the end of the day, grown adults, Jill, and I'm being completely serious here, grown adults have every opportunity from the Prime Minister on down to go to Jody Wilson-Raybould and say, why are you being so stubborn about this? Why are you so committed to this criminal prosecution that will potentially end a company when we have this other tool on the books that will not only benefit the company and its employees, but it could benefit Canadians across this country. For Jody Wilson-Raybould to take the position, I am my own fiefdom, and when people call, email me, or take me for lunch to say, why don't you change your mind, I'm sorry. We're adults here, Jill, and that is Jody Wilson-Raybould's position that I shouldn't have been bugged, but that's why, going back to the first thing I said, Jill, her position is, as much pressure as I receive to think about it, to look at other opinions to bring in the, by the way, the Supreme Court justices who I think have escaped scrutiny here that they'll say whatever the government wants. 
There is no crime here. There is no obstruction. And again, the ethical violations, when you look at the conclusions that there were economic interests or uh, for, for elections in Quebec, uh, my view, Jill, in law is that the elections, the, sorry, the ethical uh, writer, the commissioner here who wrote this report, went way beyond in his conclusions that there was some inappropriate purpose for Trudeau here. All right. So we'll leave it there. We're out of time. We could go on and talk about this for hours. But for today, we will leave it there. Uh, Ari Goldkind, thanks so much for joining us. Pleasure, Jill. Have a great morning. Uh, Later on in the program, in the final hour, Richard Kurland is going to join us. He is an immigration lawyer, and he's going to be talking about how the world is watching, how Beijing is dealing with the protests in Hong Kong, and what impact that might have on Vancouver. But right now, we're also going to take a look at that, but specifically when it comes to housing and when it comes to people moving to Metro Vancouver. And joining me on the line is Angela Calla, host of The Mortgage Show right here on CKN. W, also the author of The Mortgage Code. Angela, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Oh, you're welcome. Good morning, Jill. Good morning. Uh, you know, it's probably too early to see if there are trends or any huge shifts at this point. Uh, but from what I understand, uh, mortgage brokers and managers uh, and, uh, and real estate agents are really watching this closely. They are watching it very closely because generally the fundamentals of the pattern remain the same. When we see declines in the stock market, when we see global uncertainty in terms of protest or war or significant natural disaster, it's very common for people to take their money out of the stock market. And if they can't get into bonds or EFPs, they're looking at putting it into fundamentals such as real estate. And in 2015, when we had a crash of the Chinese stock market, what we saw was a trickle-down effect and so many foreign buyers coming here to purchase real estate. And right now, we have a combination of record low interest rates once again. We've seen the decline, a significant decline in the stock market. So if experience was to tell me that this could impact real estate, I would have to suggest that that's very highly likely. And how so? Would we see lower interest rates then? Well, interest rates are already at record lows. So what this means is if you're a local buyer, you might, if you were looking at getting into the market, this is probably the time to do it because if foreign, more foreign investment is going to come here. And already this week, we've already had inquiries from people from Hong Kong who are looking to buy second homes here. They want to put permanent roots here and they want to get their money out of China and out out of Hong Kong. And have, are the new rules playing a role in that then? Or when we see something like this and this increased unrest, do we see people buying the second homes? And yes, you might face a speculation tax or a tax until you move here. Uh, but do they kind of are, are they kind of put aside then when the bigger picture is to buy and get in? Yeah, it completely does not matter. I mean, speaking with one of these individuals on Friday myself in my practice, they just want um, they what they described it to me as British Columbia having beautiful amenities. And when they say amenities, they mean things like clean air, clean water, reasonable transportation, political and warfare safety, uh, the mountains, the trees, all the ski hills within the proximity. They just find this place absolutely breathtaking. So to be able to buy property here and have the option to come here with their family and, and either have a second home or build a life here is so desirable from people in those areas right now. And you mentioned uh, you were talking to somebody on Friday. So uh, have you noticed then an increased uh, increased interest or increased call, call oh, volumes? Yeah. 
Yes, they're purchasing brand new developments. Uh, they're purchasing what they can. I mean, they, they really want to have a permanent investment here. They find it to be a safe place and a very clean place, and they they want to participate. Uh, so if somebody then, and, and you mentioned this, so somebody who's in, in the market already or is here already and has been maybe humming and hawing on it, uh, maybe trying to see where things go as prices uh, in some areas have been dropping, uh, then, and you kind of touched on this, the message then is if you're ready to go, if you're ready to do this, now is a good time. I absolutely believe that's the case. And also, when we look at the economic indicators, that sales are happening. People are moving now. I mean, sales rose up over 5, 5% over um, month over month. So, I mean, things are really starting to move. If people have had their homes listed, they've understood psychologically, because if they've been in the market for a while, they understand that if they sell low, they're also buying low. Um, but again, if we have outside influences such as foreign money coming back into our market and other people purchasing our real estate, then of course that's going to further impact supply and make it more difficult and impact prices to, to go up. Now, another thing that's really interesting is we saw more clarity come out on the CMHC partnership program just Friday night. And with that information, they're really going to be looking at um, any home 500000 or below is really going to be moving very, very fast because in order to qualify for this program, you have to earn $120,000 a year or less. You have to be a first-time home buyer. So if this program stays past the federal election, then we are really going to – that is really going to shape the type of product – and the size and the options that developers are going to look at moving forward and people looking to uh, get creative ways and purpose build the right size to be able to afford the options that are available to take advantage of the equity program. And really, when you take Vancouver out of the market and our um, area, this will actually help other regions of British Columbia and other provinces that don't have the, the home prices where we are. We've seen a significant increase in home purchasing in Winnipeg, as an example. I think that's one of the fastest growing markets right here in Canada right now. So there's a lot of outside factors all coming together, and September and October will certainly be very um, news to watch in the in the market, that's for sure. Uh, so are there any concerns when you talk about that in the partnership, and that program for, is it $500,000 or less? Is there a concern then with this push of more foreign buyers coming back into the market that the foreign buyers are going to be purchasing those properties that would have been attractive to somebody that qualified mm-hmm. for, for what you just mentioned? No, in my experience, they're purchasing well over 500. All right. So that, I mean, I guess that's a bit of good news because I think that's where people might be nervous going, well, if all of this foreign money is flooding back into the market, does that mean supply just diminishes? Uh, I would say supply. I mean, the average, I would have to say the average home purchase price that we're seeing from people overseas is, is 750 and over. Um, so that could be good for obviously for larger for larger homes and for developers that have had luxury product on the market that they've kind of been on hold for. All right. Do you see things uh, moving then uh, as far as I, I know, it's impossible to, to have a crystal ball looking at what happens next. But uh, but as we've seen this momentum grow, do, do you see it continuing to grow? Well, experience has demonstrated to me that we have to kind of keep a close eye on what's happening globally in order to to make those decisions. But indications like the stock market dropping significantly, people selling out of the stock market, they turn to real estate. Um, Global, if there's 
you know, global uncertainty. People around the globe are looking for safer places, and they consider Canada to be their number one priority. So if experience continues to demonstrate to me what it has, then I would definitely say these are indications that are going to impact our real estate market. All right. So always good to chat with you uh, and get your take on things. Uh, Angela Calla, thank you so much for your time this morning and joining us. Oh, always a pleasure. I'm always here for you, Jim. Well, as you've been hearing in the news, tens of thousands of people continued for the 11th week to gather and to protest in Hong Kong. Tens of thousands of protesters braved a downpour on Sunday to attend a peaceful anti-government rally in Hong Kong in the 11th week of what have often been violent demonstrations. Well, you know, this movement has been going on for, 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 for weeks, for 11 weeks, and yet our demand has not, still not been heard by the government. I, don't, I do not know what is enough. All I know is they start to react because they see the severity in Hong Kong that uh, Beijing even threatens to, to send armies. So I think uh, um, um, I will, I will uh, urge Beijing to really rethink before they take next action. Scenes of Chinese paramilitary troops training at a stadium in the eastern city of Shenzhen, which borders Hong Kong, have given a clear warning that mainland intervention by force is possible. China has taken an increasingly strident tone over the protests, likening some aspects of the action to terrorism and accusing foreign countries, including the United States, of fermenting unrest. All right, let's bring in Richard Kurland. He is an immigration lawyer. He is based here in Vancouver. Richard Kurland, thank you so much for being with us this morning. A pleasure. Uh, what is the impact that you're seeing or anticipating when it comes to what's happening in Hong Kong and what could be happening here? Well, both seeing and anticipating, there's an intake. There's an intake in inquiries from uh, not just our Canadian citizens in Hong Kong, greater China, uh, but families with connections uh, to Hong Kong. What can they do to plan for a mass crisis exit? What steps can be taken now to safeguard uh, people and property? And so what are they actually doing? Well, uh, people who have Canadian documents, permanent resident cards, or travel documents, or Canadian visas are quickly flipping through their passports and personal papers to make sure uh, everything's up to date. There are people with permanent resident cards that have expired. There are people with Canadian passports expired. They have to uh, prepare to be able to leave uh, on short notice as well. We're seeing an intake in the number of inquiries how to immigrate to Canada, how to come here on study permits or put the children here on study permits uh, or applications for work permits. Uh, So undoubtedly, our Canadian immigration authorities are going to notice the spike in intake for this sort of issue. Uh, It would be prudent public policy to allocate resources to expeditiously process. I'm aware of one of my colleagues. He's in Hong Kong, Canadian citizen, immigration lawyer. Uh, Yesterday, he has emailed me saying he's going to start going to federal court seeking mandamus to expedite applications from his clients in Hong Kong who are justifiably very nervous on not getting their visas in a timely manner. And and expedite, then how quickly could something like that happen if if that was approved? 
Well, that's the thing. Uh, They can be approved quickly and denied quickly. They can be cancelled at any time under Canadian law in immigration. Uh, The law and policy can be changed with no notice, with retroactive effect. Uh, So uh, the the people with visas want to use them. Uh, I recall uh, in other conflicts, uh, as it affected Canadian immigration law and policy in Syria, uh, when we saw large numbers of Canadians and permanent residents uh, who came to Canada, Montreal, Toronto, primarily in, in significant numbers uh, when, when Beirut was bombed. Similarly, I was just opening practice back in 1988, and I personally witnessed the intake of um, Chinese students who, uh, prior to Tiananmen, were claiming uh, refugee uh, persecution, and after Tiananmen, uh, all got to stay here. So Canadian immigration policy, hopefully they have the heads up, and they're taking advanced measures to prepare for a potential mass intake of uh, tens of thousands of people, even if it's on a short-term basis, which will jam uh, cities like Vancouver with overnight um, <laughs> pressures. Yeah. Um, And and interesting when you say that, when you say even if it's on a short term basis, because I guess that's one of the questions that nobody really knows the answer to at this point is we know the unrest. We know what what China has been saying and how things are kind of simmering right now in Hong Kong. What we don't know is how things might unfold in the next days, weeks, months. Bingo. And, And it's all about who's at the command and control switch on both sides. For Beijing, it's quite clear. Um, and, and hopefully um, calm, uh, cool heads will prevail in decision-making, taking the long-term view and the short-term loss of face. On the demonstrator side, fuel is being added. I suspect that not only are we seeing protests for what's now uh, the, the, the extradition law off the table, why are they protesting? They've, they've got to respect the deal. If the protests are focusing on rendering uh, the Hong Kong area into a democratic region, uh, similar to our Western democratic society, no way is that going to happen. The deal is, uh, for a a considerable period of time, uh, one country, two systems. So the demonstrators better uh, shape up and realize that they can't always get what they want. Uh, As well, fuel is coming on board from other quarters. Yes, Beijing, perhaps not inappropriately, is mentioning the possibility of foreign intervention, American intervention during uh, a a trade negotiation that effectively destabilizes a chunk of China. Uh, On the other hand, you also are going to attract like a magnet. Uh, the youth in Hong Kong who see no hope for their economic future. If you think the Vancouver housing market is bad, take a blink at Hong Kong. Uh, These folks are without hope of owning property, as did their parents, and that will add luster to the, the, the pizzazz of joining a street demo, hoping for a card shuffling incident that may give them a chance in future at, at owning something. And, and in your mind, or watching this and how this has unfolded to this point, was the, the tipping point, the, the extradition law proposal in that uh, the whole idea of, of the one country, two systems, that, that pu- it put that into question? Or what was it that led us mm. to now being in the 11th week of these protests? Well, what I think there's a systemic design failure in the Hong Kong political system due to Beijing control. In our society, even if you don't agree even if you don't agree 
with um, uh, politicians like American President Trump, the American system has a safety valve to relieve social conflict and political conflict. And I understand what the result looks like. But still, the existence of this safety valve allows a society to bring pressure levels down to manageable uh, proportions. But in Hong Kong, where's the safety valve? Where's the democratic system that allows the population to express itself in a manner that may not be to Beijing's liking, but will act as a safety valve, relieve some of that social conflict? That's the root cause of all this. And you mentioned, too, so people now are panicking if you don't have your papers in order or if your car, if your papers have expired. Uh, What about people, though, that don't have Canadian uh, papers that just want to get out of Hong Kong? Exactly. So we saw in uh, in the Lebanese situation where our Canadian diplomatic forces and immigration personnel on short notice went and actively got into the field to take uh, to Canada people without status, primarily the spouses and kids of Canadian citizens and permanent residents. I trust uh, some plan is being prepared to do that. If you don't have any connection whatsoever, uh, well, look, uh, try to get out of Dodge, uh, make a plan, uh, even if it means uh, going on um, Internet uh, for a travel reservation 90 days, 120 days in advance. Book it. Hopefully you won't get dinged if uh, you're a no-show. But it's better to push the send button now than when crisis hits and you're competing with tens of thousands of others for flights out of Hong Kong. You, you should advance prepare. And and are you seeing that as well? I mean, are the are the inquiries that you're getting from people? Is it more of a just figuring out the situation and waiting and seeing, or is that or is there that panic already? Well, I, I, it's it's not panic because it's siloed up. It's family by family. Uh, trust it will never happen. But bullets in the street take down the silos, and now you've got a mass migration panic. That's the problem. And it's not just uh, the immigration bar. It's not just uh, Vancouver. We're experiencing the same with colleagues in uh, uh, Montreal and Toronto, Calgary. Uh, And it's not just the immigration uh, legal system here in Canada. It's our real estate system. Uh, Effectively, uh, it takes time to dispose of property in Hong Kong, Greater China, uh, or refinance it to get capital out and then uh, seek property here in Canada. And and Vancouver is a first choice, obviously. Uh, So what does this mean for us here in Vancouver with a sudden Russian crush of potentially tens of thousands in the short term? Yeah, you're going to see accommodation at at prime. But as time goes by and people go home, uh, the prudent new uh, provincial policy of vacancy taxes and foreign buyers uh, issues will increase the rents, uh, the rent supply because the owners won't be here. Their money will be here, but not the human. Uh, so that may ironically increase our rental supply uh, or increase, alternatively, the revenues flowing into municipalities in the province for absentee landlords. So all in all, I hope nothing happens. I hope uh, cooler heads prevail. I do understand from the Li Ka-shing announcements in the last 48 hours that behind the scenes, billionaires like himself and others are doing their best to bring a Canadian-style diplomatic solution uh, between the two uh, factions, Beijing and uh, the demonstrators. The hard part is who represents the demonstrators. And what I'm watching extremely carefully are just two things. One, uh, the verifiable connection between triad subversion of the uh, demonstrators in Hong Kong, their, their uh, mission. And secondly, 
the straits in Taiwan, increase or decrease in, uh, in uh, naval presence there. For me, that is the pearl. Um, hopefully Beijing doesn't Ukraine Hong Kong or doesn't Ukraine Taiwan while everyone's distracted by Hong Kong. I doubt that will happen, but it is you know something to plan for. If you're in Taiwan, sell now. <laughs> well, that was something I hadn't, I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, it's one region. Uh, the same issue, just uh, different points in time and, and different um, histories of the respective populations. But make no mistake, uh, Taiwan is the center of the tiger's heart in terms of dispute between uh, China and the West. That's the sensitive exposed tooth nerve to China, Taiwan. And so uh, folks should be paying a little more attention to what's happening over there. Uh, there's an election in Taiwan coming up, very important in January at the presidential level. So there's, there's, uh, the, the, the regional pot is bubbling, uh, and Canada has to take steps proactively to plan for the worst so we're not caught off guard and hope for the best, adding our diplomatic fuel to conflict resolution uh, between all of those parties. We can do it. We have the experience. We have the talent. Uh, I, I just uh, hopefully it'll stay outside prime ministerial politics. All right. Well, Richard, we'll leave it there. We're out of time. But uh, thank you, as always, uh, for joining the program to talk about this. Appreciate it. (laughs) My pleasure.